Uh, we're going to be wrapping up our series. Is somebody recording this, by the yes. way? I do it. Okay. Thank you so much. Uh, we're going to be wrapping up our series, uh, Black Sheep in the Manger. And this week, we're going to be talking about the character of Mary in the Bible. And uh, super quick story, but 30 years ago, I had my first supernatural encounter with the Virgin Mary. Her name was Jill Shappa, and we were playing Mary and Joseph in the Christmas pageant together. I distinctly remember this divinely appointed evening. We were instructed to walk three times around the stage in circles, symbolizing looking for room in the inn. And as if being selected as a seven-year-old to play this amazing honor of a role of Joseph was not enough, I had the privilege of holding Jill Shappa's hand for at least 10 seconds. And um, I, I believe that I touched heaven that evening. It, 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 was a, a amazing, it was an amazing event, and my mother still has a home video of it, I'm sure, if you want to see it at some point. But I want to give just a little bit of background of Mary, the mother of Jesus. I want to give some background because it's important for us to know uh, where her sto- story begins is not actually in that major scene. Uh, it goes all the way back to the very beginning. If we, if we were to open up Genesis chapter 3 and we read about the fall, we would encounter something called the Proto-Evangelium, which is uh, Latin for the first gospel. This is the very first time that the gospel was actually preached, all the way back in the book of Genesis, Genesis 3.15. It says this, The Lord God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Um, Oftentimes, with prophetic uh, utterances, there are both a a near application, the near context obviously would have been Eve, and then there's the far-off implication, which would have been Mary. So we have like the first Adam, and then Jesus is the new Adam. Eve is likened to the, the second Eve, where uh, Eve brought sin into the world. Uh, well, Mary brings Jesus' life into the world. And so the Proto-Evangelium is the first time that we, we hear a mention of or a reference to the character of Mary. And so this happened over 7,000 years ago. So over 7,000 years ago, there was a hope of a Savior being born to a woman Uh, that was written about and and spoken of uh, many, many years ago. And so the people of God from the very beginning have had this hope of a Savior who would come and crush the head of Satan. Um, But this prophecy would continue, and there would be other prophets who speak to this. Uh, Fast forward 3,000 years after Adam and Eve, there's another prophecy by a man named Nathan who gives this prophecy to King David. He says this in 2 Samuel 7. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name forever, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So again, here's that near and far prophecy because Nathan's speaking to David about his direct offspring, which was who? Direct offspring? Solomon. Solomon was going to be the one who would build the physical temple, right? The physical residing place. But then who was the far off prophecy regarding? Jesus. Jesus. There you go. You guys are getting this. This is good. So... um, 
Jesus, it also says in this prophecy, would come from the line of David. Okay, uh, David, as you know, did not save Israel. Solomon did not save Israel. There were multiple kingdoms that came after this time and conquered Israel, occupied Jerusalem, the holy city. And so the, the longing for the Messiah continues. Almost 300 years after David, there was another prophet named Isaiah. And during the Babylon exile, when the Israelites were being greatly oppressed, Isaiah pens the following prophecy. He says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. He later says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So again, the people of God are waiting for the coming of this Messiah. But much time has passed since that initial fall. What do we know from these prophecies? The Savior would be born of a woman. Not just any woman, she would be a virgin from the line of David, and that this Messiah would save Israel. So then over 700 years go by from Isaiah. I mean, hundreds of years. So they had this hope time passes, generation after generation passes away. 700 years go by, and then things get really interesting. <laughs> we have record of, in the Gospels, multiple angelic visitations happening mm -hmm. here in the Middle East. First to Zechariah, the father of John, then to Mary, and Joseph, and the shepherds. And so when the angels visit Mary... This is what it reads, directly from Luke 1, 26-33. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. The angels visited the shepherds next, and they said this, Luke 2, 9-11, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring good news that will cause great joy for all peoples. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Okay. Imagine yourself as Mary, just for a moment. Just imagine, kind of put yourself in her shoes. You're a young woman from a good Jewish family. You've recently been betrothed, which is another word for engaged in that culture, to be married to a good man. This is the hope and dream of almost every girl growing up. This is the desire of their families to see their daughter provided for and to find love. Your plans likely include having children, uh, cultivating a nice life for yourself, and then along comes this guy, angel, named Gabe. He walks in the room, and he delivers an angelic message from heaven saying, you are going to conceive and, and have a child, and he's going to be the savior of the world. 
Suddenly, in that moment, Mary knows that she will become the most famous woman in all of the earth of all of time. This is a real person. Mary's a real person. I, I know that oftentimes it seems otherworldly to think about this biblical character, but she was a real person. This could have happened to any of these women in this room. And what has the world done with Mary? Well, there's lots of different spins and takes on the, the character of Mary. I'll just cover a few. For, for many people, especially Catholics, Mary's been elevated to something of what is known as a co-redemptrix. It's a kind of a big word. I like that word. Co-redemptrix. It's, it's someone who, along with Jesus, brings about our redemption. So this idea that if we pray to Mary, that she can actually be, a, she can help bring us redemption. And so um, there's veneration of Mary, which goes beyond just, uh, you know, admiration, but it's in the realm of like idol worship where there's shrines and people actually worship the character, the person of Mary. There's shrines and churches and homes and on mountaintops, places where people come to find salvation for their souls. So most of you probably know this to be a, a theological error which glorifies a mortal, right? Jesus is God. Mary was immortal. Born, uh, Jesus was born of Mary. Mary didn't do these things to herself. And if we read in scripture, she didn't go around campaigning. You're not getting any texts from her right now that you need to donate $5 to her campaign. Uh, she's not going for notoriety. Um, people did this to Mary. Um, and I want to just to honor any Catholic or Catholic background ones in this room. I want to I say that Protestants, I think, have done a real disservice to Mary because they've thrown out, so to speak, the mother with the bathwater. You know, <laughs> they've, they, they, they've said, hey, I don't want to do that whole veneration thing, so we're not going to talk about her, we're not going to study her, we're not going to have any admiration for her. And I think that Mary is an essential character within the gospel, and I think that we should study the life of Mary and ask ourselves the question, why Mary? Why was Mary chosen to be the mother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus? Mary, of course, in her time, would have been considered a bit of a black sheep in the family. For any virgin to go around claiming that she's pregnant but has not been with a man would have either gotten you the label of liar or crazy. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, and so even her own husband, who she was betrothed to, Joseph, was planning on putting her away quietly and breaking off the engagement. Um, this would have brought great shame and embarrassment upon any family, um, but Mary was not lying. So why did God choose Mary to give birth to Jesus? Is there something we can learn from her? Today we're going to talk about a concept uh, known as favor. And uh, I want to explain this in this way. Our son John, who's three years old, whenever we go out and about like running errands, he has this thing about him, this way about him, where people just start giving him gifts. It's, it's so weird. Like, we'll go to the grocery store and he'll get like a lollipop, a sticker. And one time I was going to AutoZone and I was getting like a set of windshield wash wipers. And I go up to the counter and, and the guy who was at the cash register is like, hold on a second. He goes back, comes back with this unwrapped uh, uh, monster truck in its box still. He said, here, I want to give this to your son. I'm like, of course you do. <laughs> like, of course you do. Like, people just love John. You, we call this favor. Like, he just has favor with people. People love and adore him. The angel said to Mary, greetings, highly favored one. This morning, I want us to consider what is favor and how do we get it? And what is its purpose? A uh, quick definition of favor, we'll use this definition. 
Finding favor means gaining approval, acceptance, or special benefits or blessings from another based on their opinion of you. So favor is finding, finding favor means gaining approval, acceptance, or special benefits or blessings from another based on their opinion of you. So I want to look at what the Bible says about favor, but before that, it'd be interesting to look at what our culture says about favor. I would say that our culture is enamored with favor. Uh, we live in an era and a world of celebrity worship. Okay? Uh, Taylor Swift, heiress tour, most recently, uh, her most recent tour, gained over $1 billion. $1 billion in revenue. Okay? If Brian and I went on tour, we'd be lucky to break even. You know what I'm saying? Like, like we're just hoping to cover our gas money. But, but Taylor Swift brought in $1 billion on a tour. And then she had this idea, like, let's just put this in the theater so other people can watch it. And that gained another $250 million. Like, for something they just recorded and then put into the, into the, into the big screen, okay? The average resale value ranged for the tickets. Uh, resale value was $700 to $1,500. Per ticket. That was the average. It's safe to say that Taylor has favor, okay? She has favor. Uh, we are enamored with favor, though. Here was a disturbing poll I found online. One poll I found asked a thousand different 16 year olds, okay, what they wanted to do for a career. 54% of them marked the box that said, become a celebrity as their top choice. That's what they wanted to do over being a physician, a teacher, a musician, an artist. Like, they wanted to become a celebrity. We live in an era of social media influencers, okay? Social media influencing is someone who has incredible favor, they have lots of following, lots of people love them, look up to them, and then they get paid to just be online. Like, and so they endorse products and they get paid to do advertisements and uh, these influencers have thousands or millions of viewers on their accounts. Um, and there are even something known as child influencers, where parents then are like puppeteering you know, their children, propping them up to be child influencers because of how beautiful they are. If, if I start posting pictures of John in Gap clothing, and, and, and like, please rebuke me, please. Like, <laughs> uh, there was a CBS uh, news article that said this. About 86% of young Americans, according to the survey, 86% said they're willing to try out influencing on their social media platforms. 12% of them, of young people, said they already consider themselves an influencer. Uh, and that, if you just do rough math, leaves 2% of the youth that are uninterested in social media influencing at all. Like, that's, that's the world we live in. Our world is enamored with favor. We're enamored with getting favor. We're enamored with people who have favor. So what does the Bible say about favor? First of all, the Bible says that there are two types of favor, okay? We need to get this right. There's two types of favor. There's favor with God, and there's favor with man. These are two different types of favor. Proverbs 3, 1 through 4 says, this is, uh, this is Solomon speaking to his children, his son. My son, do not forget teach my teaching. But keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Furthermore, we see that 
uh, there are degrees of this favor with God and with man. It's not binary. It's not like you either have it or you don't. There are degrees of this favor. We know of at least two people uh, in Scripture that it is said they increased in favor with both God and with man. Uh, this was said of Samuel, the Old Testament prophet, and Jesus. They increased in favor with God and with man. Mary, as we know, had lots of favor. Greetings, you who are highly favored. You have found favor with God, the angel said. The angel references Mary's favor twice. Which kind of favor do we think Mary had? Favor with God. You have to have a considerable amount of favor with God to be considered for the one to carry Christ into the world. You know what I'm saying? Like, this isn't just anybody. But what's crazy about this is, how did Mary, what did Mary do to get this favor? We don't really know. Like, we, we really don't know. There's not a lot about Mary's life beforehand, but we can make some assumptions. And my guess is that her nature and her character is probably pretty consistent with who she was after she heard this news. Mm-hmm. And we learned these things. First and foremost is that Mary had a quiet obedience and a humble devotion to God. So, the, the, the angels come to the shepherds, and the shepherds come running to find Mary and Joseph. Like, they are just over the moon excited that the Savior's been born. They get to witness it. They go find Mary and Joseph, and they tell Mary and Joseph, like, hey, by the way, this child is not only going to be, like, on the throne of David, but the angel said specifically, this child is the Messiah, right? Like, they use that word, and that word would have been, like, a definite trigger, like, oh, the one. Like, the chosen one. So... And the shepherds go and tell everybody else, and it says everybody was amazed at what the shepherds were saying. And you know what it says about Mary? She pondered these things in her heart. Let's just compare that to social media influencers. How much pondering in the hearts is there within social media influencing? You know? We tell the world everything and anything that we think would garner more and more favor with man, right? More and more following, more viewers on our account. So Mary had this quiet obedience and humble devotion. She demonstrates a great deal of ontological humility, as I like to put it. Ontological humility is the idea that in the big scope of the universe, she was very small and she knew it. God was the big one, right? Mary was seeking to live a righteous life. We know this about her. She was chaste. She said, how will this be since I was a virgin? Mary honored her family, uh, both with even just going to visit her cousin Elizabeth, obviously going into this marriage that was most likely arranged. Uh, Mary spoke reverently of the Lord after the angel came to visit her. Mary was a faithful mother, as we see later in Scripture, mentioned often throughout the Gospels and during the ministry of Jesus, all the way through his death and into the book of Acts, Mary was there caring for Jesus and then caring for what Jesus cared about the most. She takes in John to be a son of her own. So Mary had this quiet obedience, this humble devotion, seeking to live a righteous life. What did Mary not do to gain this favor with God? Well, 
She didn't risk her life before a king like we see in Queen Esther. She didn't rule over people like Deborah the judge. She didn't hide spies of Israel like Rahab. Mary was, in her own words, a humble servant. <coughs> I think the, the key insight into all of Mary's life is really found in what's known as the Magnificat, uh, which is uh, Latin for, my soul magnifies the Lord. And we, we see this written down. It's, it's her recorded prayer. It's her recorded song after the angel comes to her uh, and gives her this news. This is how Mary responds. If you want to read this with me, it's Luke 1, 46 through 55. It's a beautiful piece of scripture. It's been turned into song, and, but the words are so important for us this morning. I'll give you just a second to turn. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Mary magnified the Lord with her life. And now she would magnify the Lord literally with her physical body, making him large. I mean, think about it. Like, everything, everything, everything she has is going to magnify the Lord. Growing Jesus from a seed into a Savior. Like, taking him from this, 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 this tiny, tiny seed into a full-grown man. This was her calling. This was her honor. I mean, the only person in all of history that would actually have that responsibility, that calling, Did you ever have one of these growing up? Maybe your dad did on his desk? I got one now. Oh, good. <laughs> Some of us had them in our eyes. Uh, I remember we had this little magnifying glass in our kit growing up, uh, and we would take it, and we, we learned that if we hold it just right to the sun, we could pinpoint this little hot spot and actually start a fire with a magnifying glass. I love it so much. Magnifying glasses magnify for us the object in front of us. But here's the thing. The magnifying glass doesn't actually make this object any bigger than it already is. It just appears bigger to the viewer, to the person looking at it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So you got to know when Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord, she's not actually making God any bigger than he already is. But her life was helping others to see the greatness of God. Her life was actually in, it aimed in such a way, focusing on God, that, that the image became bigger for her. That all she was beholding was big, big. God is big. God is big. He's already big, but the magnifying glass helps us see his greatness. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. 
Does your life, we have to ask, magnify the Lord? Because I tell you that a life that magnifies the Lord will gain you favor with God. And favor with God is a good thing. Favor with man can be helpful, but if and only if we have that first thing in place. Does that make sense? Yeah. See, a life that magnifies the Lord will win the favor of God. Favor is good. Favor of God is paramount. It's got to be the first thing in our life. We as humans were not actually meant to steward glory. Like, that is, belongs to God. Like, God deserves glory. You know what happens when, when a human starts to receive too much glory? Do you know what happens? It crushes them. Like, it happens over and over and over, and we have countless examples of this happening with, with celebrity Christians, like celebrity, you know, pastors and preachers who, who all of a sudden get so much glory, and if they're not careful, if they don't make sure that they first and foremost have that first thing in place, that favor with God, it absolutely destroys their life. You've got to tell yourself, I was not meant to steward the weight of glory. So finding favor with men without having favor with God first will bring glory to ourselves, no glory to God, and in time will actually crush us and destroy us. Um, I'm a big fan of Johnny Cash, and uh, towards the end of his life, he released um, some albums, and on one of those albums, he actually had a song called God's Gonna Cut You Down. And they made a music video about this, and if you haven't watched it, you really need to watch this. It's shot in black and white, and I think it was actually recorded after the time of his, his death. So he recorded the music, but he's not in the music video other than some other like post video that it was shot earlier. And, um, and anyway, they, they have almost 40 different celebrities, like big known actors. You would know you would know in a lot of the, you would know a lot of them. So Justin Timberlake, Iggy Pop, Kanye West, Bono, Chris Martin, Adam Levine, Keith Richards, all of them are singing this song like singing Johnny Cash's song. And it's really eerie to watch because, and, and some people are actually crying as they're singing it because they're realizing the truth in his words. And, uh, and, and his, his words will say this, you can run on for a long time, run on for a long time, run on for a long time, sooner or later, God will cut you down. Sooner or later, God will cut you down. He's referring to the scripture passage that talks about pruning, Right? Uh, he's, he's, he, and there's the reckoning that we know very well in Scripture will come for all of us. Mark 8, 36. What does it prosper a man if he gains the world but loses his soul? There are many people who will run on for a long time in life, and they'll have a lot of favor on their own life, but eventually, if that favor is not glorifying God, and if that person doesn't have favor with God, they will be proved. Here's my biblical conviction as I've studied this topic, and I have to be really honest about this. I, I went into this week thinking I was going to preach one message on what is favor and how do we get it, like, <laughs> to, oh, wow, like, there's actually more here that I think is really important for us to know. And here's what I found. Uh, we have to become less preoccupied with the favor of man. We have to become less preoccupied with the favor of man. Favor of man and the fear of man are very dangerously closely related. Because what happens when you start living for the favor of man? 
you will make man your god, your idol. And what the audience wants, you're going to give them. Does that make sense? So in that, in that essence, people, the fans, will become your god. And so you will start living to please people if you are preoccupied with favor of man. We need to remind ourselves that we are not meant to steward glory. God is not impressed with your social status, your influence, your power that you yield. Sooner or later, God is going to be coming for a reckoning, and we will all stand before him. And he knows which of us have magnified the Lord and which of us have magnified ourselves in this life. That's good. We have to ask ourselves, uh, do we find ourselves impressed with the favor of man on people's lives? Because I think that as I'm studying this scripture, what should impress us most about people should be their humble devotion to Jesus and their servitude like Mary. Like that should impress us. We should be impressed by the people who have that quiet faith that actually are looking for no credit of their own. We have to ask the question, like, who is this person magnifying with their life? Is it themselves and their own favor, or is it Jesus and his glory? Mary's humble life magnified the Lord, and he chose her to be his mother on earth. What's interesting is that we don't actually see Mary's favor with man increasing very much in her life. Um, We don't see Mary's favor increasing with man in her life um, before she passes away. And you know what? I think that's okay. Uh, You might find that as God's favor increases on your life, that your favor with man will increase. And if you have that first thing in place, then praise God. But you also have to, like, prepare yourself for great temptations, Because the temptation to self-glorification is really real, right? Uh, You might find that as God's favor increases in your life, your favor with man will actually decrease. If so, praise God. (laughs) But most likely, most of us will experience a mixed bag. Like, most of us will experience some favor with man and a lack of favor in other areas. I mean, you look at Paul's life. He was stoned by some men, and he was venerated by others, right? Like, Jesus was praised by some and crucified by others. And he was one who, whose favor with man increased. And so, we have to become less preoccupied with the favor of man, always preoccupied with the favor of God, and then if it does increase, praise God and say, God, what is the purpose for this favor that you've given me? God's favor doesn't necessarily mean wide influence, applause, or major followings. God's favor means that you will hear the Lord say these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. I think that much of, if not most of, uh, the favor that we have on our life and the fruit of that favor will actually be revealed after we pass into eternity. Um, Jesus commands us to store treasures for ourselves in heaven where moth and rust will not destroy. Uh, The Bible speaks about crowns that people will receive in heaven. And I think that there is going to be so much that God bestows upon us 
in terms of favor, of fruit, of, of just sharing in that glory. It's not that, that it's ours, but he's going to share that with us in heaven. And so, so much of that fruit of the favor of God will be revealed in heaven. So we need to have an eternal perspective. Amen? Amen. So here's the application. Here are just some practicals. Um, uh, three practicals. Acknowledge, savor, and focus. Okay? First of all, we need to acknowledge the favor on our life and rejoice. Thank God for it. Thank God for it. First and foremost, if you are saved, if you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you have a certain degree of God's favor on your life. Like He has revealed Himself to you. Like that is something, that is the thing that you can give God praise for. Like God, thank you that you looked upon me favorably enough that you were willing to send your son Jesus to die for me. Like praise God, you have favor with God in that regard. Other forms of God's favor that you can acknowledge. If you walk in peace knowing that your sins are forgiven, if you have assurance that God loves you, you can rejoice. If you know who you are, and your identity as a son or a daughter made in God's image, loved by him unconditionally, praise God, you have favor. Because so many people don't have that, right? Like, so if you have that, like, praise God for it. Like, it is good. If you feel that your life has purpose and a meaning, you have God's favor in that. Praise God. If you have a meaningful vocation that you serve in, praise God. That is the favor of God. If you have found rich and meaningful relationships, praise God. For those who are married, if you have found a spouse, praise God. Because the Bible actually says that he who finds a wife finds favor. (laughs) Somebody's thankful. Somebody is thankful. So we need to acknowledge that favor and praise God for it. We don't need to do like the false humility and, you know, like just say like, God has had favor on me, and I am so thankful. Like, I am saved. God loves me. He's revealed himself to me. I know who I am. I know what my purpose is. Like, that is good. Secondly, savor the flavor. Savor the flavor. I love this, this, this phrase. Mary pondered these things in her heart. Mary said, you've done great things for me. From now, all, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Like, Mary was savoring that favor. It's okay to savor that flavor. Yeah. Like, it's okay. You can savor that, fla- that favor. <laughs> it does taste good. Because if you are walking in step with God, and He gives you favor, it's probably for His purposes, and you should celebrate it. Uh, real quick example, Katie was back in town and went to a U of M football game and was meeting different people and she was talking about us wanting to church plant. This was years ago. And this guy says, hey, if you ever need anything on the U of M campus, like, you let me know. Like, give me a call. And so like, he hands her his card. And uh, she takes the card and says, president of the university on it. <laughs> like, we just celebrated. Like, that is God's favor. Like, God has given us an open door, you know, and we're like, okay, like, we have a door opener, and I'm going to celebrate that because it's for God's purpose. And, and we can celebrate, we can savor the favor that God gives us in our life. Thirdly, focus your favor on God's work. Focus your favor on God's work. We need to align our work 
with his purposes. John 5, 19 says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus talking, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father do. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. We could just put that in our prayer, you know? Donna, you can say, Father, whatever you're doing, Donna wants to do it today. Brian, you can say, God, whatever you're doing today, I want to be up to that same work today. Mm-hmm. If, you're, if you're healing the brokenhearted, I want to heal the brokenhearted. If you're, if, you're, if you're redeeming the lost, I want to redeem the lost. If you're, if, you're, if you're fathering the orphans, I want to father the orphans. And just align your life's purposes with his purposes. And then you can pray for God's favor on your work. And I'm not just talking about your job. Like, your job is a form of way that you serve the Lord, but all the work of your hands. Psalm 90, verse 17, this is Moses' psalm. He says this, Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. We can pray for favor when we know that, hey, God is with us and I am about his purposes. We can pray for God's favor. 2 Kings 13.4, there was a king named Jehoaz. And he says this, he sought the favor of the Lord and it says that the Lord listened to him. So God hears us when we pray for favor. Say, God, like, I need favor. I'm doing this thing and I believe you've called me to it. And if you haven't called me to it, like, close this door, rebuke me, correct me, enlighten me, let me know. But it seems to be of your will. It seems to be consistent with Scripture. And so, give me favor in this, in this way. Mm-hmm. Use the favor on your life to magnify the Lord and to further His purposes. Just a few quick ways that this might apply to you. Uh, your very life itself is a gift. If you're alive, you have favor, you can use all of it for God's glory. If you have a magnetic personality or persona, you can use it for God's glory. It's not bad to have just that, that magnetic personality that people are drawn to, but use it for his glory. If you have a business acumen, if you really just know how to run businesses, start businesses, like use that to magnify the Lord. First and foremost, seek God's favor. And then say, God, like, I want to use this for the kingdom. If you have financial insight, or uh, if you have professional insight into an industry, if you have keys to influence within a specific industry. If you're athletic, if you've been given friendships, if you have a, a wit or a humor and you're funny, like use that to magnify the Lord. If you've been given an abundance of resources, use those resources to magnify the Lord and His purposes. Mary obtained the favor of God through humble servitude and quiet obedience. Mary magnified the Lord with her favor. Mary didn't intend to make her own name great. She sought to make the Lord's name great. What is your favor? What would it look like to 10x the Lord with your favor? To, to, again, you can't make God bigger than he already is, but you can show people how big he is. Like, what would it look like for you to show people how great God is with the favor on your life? Whatever your favor is, magnify the Lord. Focus your favor on the Lord and He will be glorified. And that's what this Christmas is all about. That's what Christmas is all about, is is bringing attention to Jesus. And I love that Mary did not detract from Jesus. She didn't steal the show. She didn't make it about herself. Like, she pondered these things in her heart. Like, she's thinking to herself, what is this going to mean for me? What is this going to mean for my family? She pondered them in her heart, kept it about Jesus. So as we approach Christmas tomorrow, may we remember 
that Jesus is our sole redeemer and the only name worth magnifying. May we remember that the only kind of sheep in this manger scene are black sheep. Imperfect ones like you and me, sinners, ones that others might have rejected, and yet the Father has chosen with favor to accept. And though our sins were like scarlet, he washes us whiter than snow. White as wool. As we approach Christmas tomorrow, may we both individually and corporately, I pray as a church, magnify the Lord. I want to invite everybody to stand up. The worship leaders are going to come back up and lead us in one last series of songs. And I just want to pray this for us. Church, I pray that God's favor would be upon you. And I pray that God's favor would be upon us corporately. Certainly, he has been favorable to us in giving us his one and only son. So, Father, if it's not too much to ask, Father, may we bring you further glory with our lives as we seek to magnify you and to focus our favor on your purposes throughout the earth. Amen.